This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Plato's Cave, a Triple R film criticism show and podcast. My name is Thomas Cordwell. I am joined by Cerise Howard, Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood. Good evening to you all. Hello. 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 We're all good? And in tune, <laughs> oddly in tune. <laughs> that was beautifully harmonised. <laughs> on tonight's show, we're discussing Loving, based on a true story about a couple who spent most of the 1960s battling the laws in Virginia, USA, which declared their marriage illegal due to the fact that they were a mixed-race couple. We're also going to be discussing the documentary The Eagle Huntress, which is about a 13-year-old Kazakh girl from Mongolia who trains and competes in eagle hunting, a traditionally male-only activity. But first, we're going to take a look at 13th. This is a feature documentary by US filmmaker Ava DuVernay, whose previous film was Selma in 2014. I think we discussed it early 2015. Now, 13th has not had a theatrical release in Australia and instead has been available for a number of months now on Netflix. But given its Academy Award nomination and DuVernay being a filmmaker of interest, we've decided to discuss it tonight. The film takes its title from the 13th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which prohibits slavery in America, except as punishment for a crime. Now, addressing the fact that the US holds 25% of all incarcerated people in the entire world, DuVernay examines the political, economic, social and cultural factors within the US, uh, starting at the official end of slavery in 1865 and going all the way to today. And she's doing this to examine why America put so many of its citizens behind bars, who those people are, and what the rationale is behind it. This is a hell of a film that covers an enormous, an absolutely enormous amount of, of content. Um, so how do, we, how do we jump in to discuss this film? Alex, I I'm think on. You, you're, yeah. you're, I know you're, you're really ready. I've got a number of I'm things like, I want to talk about, but you saw this a little bit before us. And then, in fact, you were the one who originally said we should do this film. So let's hear from you first. This is a film, obviously, the reputation of the filmmaker um, brought me to the 13th. Um, Selma alone is enough reason, I think, for me to be interested in this. And I kind of went in, not I hadn't really read up on it. I knew that there was an intense... Uh, sense of strong feeling in a, in a positive, angry, mobilised way that this film really sparked in a lot of people. Um, and, of course, you kind of want to get in on that. You want to sort of suss out what's going on. But this is... Um, the 13th is just weaponized filmmaking. I mean, it's an extraordinary accomplishment. I know that I use the, that word a lot, but she, she's really... Like you said, she's just pulled so many diverse strands of history together... And very consciously, and I think that this for me is the real power of this film, is that through a cinematic language, through explicitly by using, by referring to things like the birth of a nation and talking about screen culture and how these kind of mythologies are built and spread and how propaganda exists, you know, how it's made and how it, how it continues, how it endures, um, how, how, is, how is racism, how is institutionalised racism maintained across generations from the moment of the 13th Amendment right through to the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's a very... if Just talking about it now, you think, OK, that's going to be a pretty complicated line to draw. And something about her skill, and this is weaponized filmmaking, she makes it clear. She's unrelenting. And it's it's not... 
experimental documentary filmmaking by any stretch. There's a lot of interviews and talking heads, but it's people like Angela Davies, for God's sake. You know, I mean, these really extraordinary icons, you know, these really just people with such presence and such stories and the way that she weaves them together is is incredible. I'm babbling, but I'll let you guys no, speak and then I'll come back no, to the no, screen stuff, I think. What, what I really responded to this film was how extremely well it argues its case. Like often when you watch a very persuasive documentary like this, I try to think about, okay, what's the bit there... Where's the persuasive bit where they're trying to steer us into thinking something that's up for debate? But this presents... Uh, the way it presents its its facts is just utterly convincing. And, and I think it's because at the heart of it, we know what this film is presenting is to be true. Like, it's quite a disturbing and alarming wake-up call. The big revelation I kind of got from this film, though, was how racism has been manufactured for political and economic reasons. I, you know... When I was very young, I kind of had this very naive view that, and this is a very popular view I think that many people have, that there's something natural about being a bit afraid or demonising otherness and a mark of our civilization is how much we rise above that and don't let that dominate our thought. But I think as I've sort of grown older and watched my own child develop, I think it's the exact opposite. I don't think anybody is born racist. I think that's something we're taught. It's a construct and it's a political construct. And this film shows us very blatantly how that worked. And an economic construct. And it will, but most specifically economic. Yeah. Racism finished and that was a huge economic problem. Sorry, slavery, slavery finished and that was Dream a on. huge... Dream on, yeah. God world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slavery, <laughs> slavery officially finished, I should say. Mm, yeah. And that was a huge economic problem in America because they no longer there was no longer an industry generating this money and now there are all these free extra free citizens wanting power and, and wealth and land and so very quickly they decided the solution was to start locking up people of color specifically african americans and to do that they had to create a, an environment of fear and hatred and that's where the 1915 film the birth of a nation played such an important part i, I mean I've, I've seen this film it is definitely revolutionary and influential in the way it informs cinematic language. It's also deathly dull, but it is... Three, it is what, three hours long? It's such long? a tedious so... watch. I mean, screw I get it, like, film. editing is important. <laughs> I get it, but oh, my God. But more to the point is it's a horrific piece of propaganda in the way it rewrites American history to, to make Ku Klux Klan heroes and, and it makes people of colour are either as stupid fools or, or dangerous rapists. And then this film shows us how this, this kind of depiction of, of coloured people as the potential rapists of the white women, white women as, as criminals, was manufactured and created so they could be thrown in jail and become a new slave labour. I think that um, the interesting thing about watching something like this on Netflix as well is uh, this little thing popped up afterwards and there was uh, Oprah Winfrey <laughs> interview with uh, Ava DuVernay, which was really quite interesting as well, just in seeing her describe her methods of bringing this in together and all, all of this together. And as Alex was saying about these so much information and um, so, so many points of view, but leading into this singular argument um, I think she actually was the she says that the act, the initial focus was on um, the prison industrial complex and um, the mass incarceration of of black uh, African Americans um, that was initially what she was looking at the now and and somehow through the the you know this research and these interviews these many interviews that she sat down with two hours with each of them, um, she 
she found that there was this whole history that actually informed it. So it became became this bigger beast than than what you know what she initially thought it was. And I do love the way that she. It is a singular argument, and it is a, a, a bombardment of talking head after talking head. It's a lot of information, but she manages to keep it so clear, and she manages to attack any other. Uh, contrary arguments or arguments against it, I should say, like uh, the idea, but these people are criminals. And that's statistic she comes out with that 97% of the people in the American um, prison system have not gone to trial. So they are not actually proven criminals yet. And that, and then she taking us through that. So, so why? Well, blacks are accepting plea bargaining to get out of longer sentences and uh, because they can't afford representation and so forth, blah, blah, blah. I'm simplifying it here, but this is just an I, one argument and the way that she, she teases it out so beautifully. Um, she, I, she also said something that I found really interesting, which was she was going to um, have all of the interviewees say who they were were at the end of the at the end of the documentary and she decided not to do that instead run through family pictures of african-american households because she said it felt like it was giving letting the audience off that they went oh look there's all these high profile people who are onto this that's great you know i don't have to do anything and i think that was really smart decision because it's true this is something that's it's entrenched it's it's legal it and it needs to change there's two two things that i'd want to pick up from there emma that i think that are really important when we talk about the 13th the first is just to clarify that this film does not take it does not lean towards a, a republican or a democrat position i mean it hammers trump this was made before the u.s election last year yeah. mm. yep. uh, it is not kind to trump but it, it contains is, a lot of is, footage from those rallies it does yeah. um, i'll, I'll talk about clinton. that yeah, it yeah. is not kind to the clintons in the remotest no. I, I i would say that it's possibly equal in its in its in the fingers that are pointed but what i find really interesting particularly uh talking about hillary clinton and her famous um i've gone blank on the phrase the, the predator line the predator the, the, line the um super predators super predators so yeah. she the way that she utilizes this archive footage the way that the way that, that this filmmaker uses film language herself is is extraordinary. She's a very, very good filmmaker and mm. she knows how to use that to tell this story, to make it feel like a, a, like a very clear narrative. I mean, the argument that it presents, at no point did I find myself thinking, okay, it's getting a bit wobbly now. Not I don't understand all. the logic. I'm losing my thread. And it all does really start with Birth of a Nation and I think there's some really remarkable moments where she, she will show clips of earlier footage and then parallel it at the end of the film with contemporary footage from the Trump rallies that are exactly the same. I mean, oh, it's extraordinary terrifying. editing work. <laughs> yes. it's and it's absolutely, these are the things that stay with you. And I think, I don't think that this is a spoiler, but um, she shows the footage um, and it's it's quite emotional even just talking about it. Um, the, the video footage um, of many of the key cases of the Black Lives Matter that, that provoked that movement um, that you know, I can't breathe. A, lo- a lot of the iPhone footage of people yeah, actually getting yeah. people getting assaulted and murdered by the police, yeah, yeah. And, and all of them are presented yeah. very, very carefully. Whether you know, we we use this permit, we use this footage with the permission of the families. Yep. It's very respectful. And there's a discussion the in the film about the ethics of showing that exactly. Footage too. And, yeah. and I think yeah. that that and it, she starts from the word go with birth of a nation, saying film matters, and I'm telling you that through a film. Um, but this, you know, the the idea of, of cinema and filmmaking is not 
secondary or parallel. It's not the spoonful of sugar that's helping this story go down. Movie making is part of what's going on here. Well, this but is a moving image culture is part of what's going wrong and how we can fix it. And mm. I think it's incredible. Yeah, this, if nothing else, is an example of of why films matter and why talking about films like we do in this show every single week is important <laughs> because these shape our realities yeah. and the depic- our attitudes about. Uh, people of colour has been shaped by the way we consume images of people of these people in popular culture, and this film makes an incredibly strong argument that that has been a deliberate construct to make us feel a certain way about them politically, and it's made us vote. You know, I'm talking to the rural us here. It's made us vote for law and order candidates so we can get more of these people locked away. And and the most distressing one of the more, one of the many distressing things the film points out is even these people start to believe this about themselves because this is the popular culture they consume. You have some of the interview subjects starting to internalise that, which is incredible. And on the same hand, and I cannot believe I'm saying this, is that people like Newt Gingrich... I was blown away yeah, by Newt, it's like, Newt like, I'm Gingrich sitting there watching film, yeah. Newt Gingrich getting interviewed and I'm nodding my head saying, yes, Newt. <laughs> yes, Newt. Tell me more, Newt. Tell and me. it's not the little like, girl in Aliens. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, for a man who's so horrifically conservative on so many issues, he's, he's, kind of, he's pretty... a lot more rational. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of on the ball when it comes to issues of race and this mass incarceration. That blew my mind. Um, yeah. And I don't think that that was a lucky moment for her. I think that, that she knew exactly she what known. she was going to... When she decided to interview well, him, meant, I suspect she knew what she was getting into. And I mean, this is above left, right. This is above progressive, conservative, and it's very explicit yeah. about that. It, it hammers the Clintons, Bill and Hillary, yeah, yeah. very explicitly, and and Trump. And it's, Trump. It, I mean, it, it starts about the oh, well, we haven't talked about this. We could talk about this for ages, but the the war on drugs, um, mm. which is part of a, a factor in all of this, um, I found what was the really compelling um, piece of information presented here was that it was uh, the decision to go with it as a criminal issue rather than a health issue and uh, and how that actually affected and managed to, you know, set up this situation where um, uh, African-American people were just filling jails. I mean, the, the, that number of, what is it, 20... You, you put, said it at the start, Thomas, it was... 25% of the worst. We're talking about, about the, the entire population of the world. Yeah. Yeah, America has 25% of incarcerated people in the world. I mean, that's that's insane. That's not functional. That is not yeah. a functional civilization. And then there's uh, I mean, the private prisons. Well, they, they talk, talk a lot about, about the, the private... prison industrial yeah. complex. And yeah. that's well, it's a, a big money-making machine. Yeah, and yeah. it's very yeah. clear about how that works as a business structure, mm-hmm. um, which is the stuff that in a funny way, like, you know, you hear these just horrendous personal stories from people and then there are these guys talking facts and figures, um, the, the lobby group. I've, oh, is it, yeah. uh, I've gone blank on the name, but the guy who was like the believer groups. in the lobby, you know, what they're lobbying for, just mm. hearing this guy talk about it from a business perspective, genuinely one of the, you know, you're talking about lynchings and things like this. This guy's just as chilling, the way that he's talking about it just as a business plan. Yeah. And, and that's Awful. what, that's the strength of this film. It shows us that these were decisions that were carefully made for economic and political reasons. It didn't just organically evolve. And it also reminds, I mean, there's a feeling that America's been rotten at the core for maybe the last 12 months or maybe since 19. 1963, when Kennedy was assassinated, or since Watergate. I mean, I think this film shows us it's been rotten at the core from day one. It says that very explicitly with the title of the film, The 13th Amendment, which everybody's, mm. oh, great, The 13th Amendment is what stops slavery. And this film really hones into the wording. Yep. And it says it, there's a loophole. And that loophole is everybody's free except if you do something bad. And, and so it, let's set up an entire cultural kind of structure where 
only some kinds of people do are considered bad. Yeah, and I should just it's jump incredible. in and say, not not that I think any of us in this room are going to let Australian politics off the hook either, and say we're kind of shining <laughs> beacon in all this as well. I mean, we've inherited a lot of these, uh, a lot, a lot of these behaviours and policies and attitudes. So. I was thinking that a lot when I was watching the 13th, which was, you know, what would the Australian yeah. version it's of this be? It's too easy to judge another and country, it would be, isn't it? It would just be half an hour of just... I mean, you know, it's it's... It would just be so bleak and so simple. Well, Chasing know, Asylum was a good documentary yeah. that looked at how our attitude towards refugees has been based on political popularity. I mean, it goes against all sound rationale for, for, for you know, all the experts when they talk about how to treat asylum seekers, we're doing the opposite of that for cheap political opportunism. So... Oh, my God. <laughs> Slaps all round. But, people, if you haven't got a subscription to Netflix, I reckon it's worth doing simply so you can see 13th. It's an amazing piece of filmmaking. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia. You're on Plato's Cave with Thomas, Alex, Emma and Cerise. Loving is the new film by American filmmaker Jeff Nichols, whose previous films include Take Shelter, Mud, and from last year, Midnight Special. It's based on the 2011 documentary The Loving Story by Nancy Bursky about Richard and Mildred Loving, a white man and a black woman who married in 1958, despite it being against the law in their home state of Virginia, uh, against law for people of different races to marry. The impact of their illegal marriage eventually resulted in a landmark civil rights court case in 1967. Joel Edgerton plays Richard and Ruth uh, Negra plays Millard, a role she received an Academy Award nomination for. Who wants to kick off with this one? <laughs> she was very good. And she, she was very she good. Was great. She was very good. How about our Joel, though? I think our Joel was fantastic. I knew that he was in it and then the film started and I was watching it for about 15 minutes and I thought, where is he? And then I realised he was the main guy and I thought, our Joel. He's one our of those... Joel, Mr I, Grumpy Face. Yeah, but... I always, whenever we talk about a Joel Edgerton film, I think I mention that I, I, I think I'm not a fan of his until I see every single one of his films and I realise <laughs> this man is an amazing actor. And mm. yeah. This was my first Edgerton... Uh, Joel Edgerton, I don't want to confuse yep. our Edgertons. This was my first Joel moment. Oh, he's good in this. Yeah, this is the one that really yeah. I was like, yeah. hey, boy, howdy, Al Joel. Can I, keep, I love that, like Al Nicole. We've got Al Joel. <laughs> Cerise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> not feeling it. Al Cerise. <laughs> no, I, I, I think he was was very good, though the, the particular performance he brought to this was from the Billy Bob Thornton Sling Blade, Sling Blade school of um, gurning and grimacing and... Um, <laughs> Uh, appearing simple, um, so I, I always find that a little. Uh, it's a managed sort of performance, but I suppose he's trying to ad- adopt a certain sort of persona that I imagine isn't meant to be terribly far removed from uh, actuality. And but he didn't come across as stupid. Did no, he didn't think? come across as stupid, no. but very. He was a strong, silent type. Okay, but wasn't he struck he? me as yeah. very internalized. Mm. Yeah, yes. everything was internalized. That yeah. sort of. Stiff up the lip. Yeah, it certainly made clear that he's um, got agency. He's got uh, mechanical prowess. He's doing fairly menial labour uh, to get by in order to build the dream house in the field that he has bought uh, in this patch in Virginia in a place that's going to be increasingly unwelcoming to him and his wife. Uh, so, and, and actually, he's definitely got some smarts in as much as he knows that uh, the the law will be the law no matter how much uh, he 
and his wife directly get uh, involved and, and engage with the media or at least try to avoid it once this thing becomes... Oh, it's almost as if he, he has that premonition of it becoming a circus, uh, which is remarkably astute for somebody who lives in the backwoods, you could say, in a back block somewhere far removed from the big smoke and all of its attractions. Uh, so they, they are presented as simple country folk with uh, simple interests and actually a fear of the city. The city's a place where children can't play safely, that they'll get knocked over by an automobile and there's just not grass and lovely soft things to run about on and trees to clamber up and uh, a, a lovely nurturing environment. The, the city is definitely cast as in an interesting way in this film, I think, both as a bit of a baddie, but then ultimately the thing that's going to... Oh, can, can you spoil a film like this when the, the ending's at foregone conclusion? <laughs> I think it's, it's, a, a it's a pretty famous le- yeah. Yeah. case. Yeah. Um, it's a biopic. So. It, yeah. it, it changed it. It changed it, the constitution, didn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. 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 Vir- Virginia versus Loving? Loving versus Virginia, is that what yeah. it was called? It's a very mm-hmm. famous, famous legal case. I don't think it's well, a spoiler. Such a blessing too Rose that their surname was <laughs> was loving. loving too. It's, it's quite amazing, isn't yeah. it? The sort of landmark case, Richard and Mildred Loving. Imagine mm. if the surname was like tolerating. It just you know, <laughs> barely you know, accept. You know, struggling to cope with. You know, yeah. loving. You know, it's kind of made for a film, but it's just because of the surname. Or if Richard Loving's name had happened to be D. W. Griffith instead, <laughs> would have been super awkward. <laughs> But um, <laughs> this is why we're not studio execs, yeah. right? Yeah. Intersectionality. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, but uh, back to the other key performer, Ruth uh, Negger is her surname. It's, yeah. Is it Negger? Yeah. Negger. Yep. I believe she's actually Irish. Um, I remember her in Breakfast on Pluto. I was trying to place her the whole time watching this until the penny dropped that she played the friend of Kitten, the lead character in this. Do you know this Neil Jordan film uh, with, um, was it Killian or Cillian Murphy? Yeah, it's it? Killian. It I is think. Killian. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Killian. I said Cillian. And, and she, she's yeah. Irish Ethiopian. Irish apparently. Ethiopian. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So she's, so she's really. Both got, non Southerners. Yeah, that's playing right. Playing a central role. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Or a very Southerner, an Australian playing. Yeah, <laughs> and both of them nailing the accents and just. In, in Inhabiting those, yeah. it certainly roles, didn't bother me like Alone in yeah. Berlin did. Yeah, the casting well, in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I didn't even see that, so I can't comment. But um, oh yeah, you can. It's <laughs> it, it was <laughs> that go. Yeah. Stick the knife in. Anyway, like, I, I thought she was fabulous. I I can't couldn't actually take my eyes off her every time she was on screen, and she didn't actually say much uh, in terms of dialogue. But her neither her very, of them did. No, really? neither no. did. But their presences were strong and and communicated distress or. Actually, a lot of distress much of the time. Happiness for about the first 15 minutes of the film, then quite a lot of distress. I think the film really hinges on the energy between them too. Yeah. So it's not just two very strong performances. It's two strong performances that really just... There's just a unity. ...bounce yep. off each yep. other. I mean, there's these... You think that's the strength of the film, actually. Absolutely. I mean, I think mm. with um, different casting, this... I mean, I think it's a pretty straightforward biopic. I don't think that that's... Um, that's an unreasonable thing to say. It's it very looks good. It looks great. It, it adheres loyally to the story, stra- I guess. Yeah, but I don't think it's forward, but amazing. It's, it's not. It is what you think it, it is. It doesn't hit the Hollywood marks quite as I expected it would. As in, he felt like he's that sort of internalised angry character you know he felt like he was uh you know uh, about to explode and I was always waiting for that moment when he exploded or that he had his heroic moment where he sort of you know I don't know smacked the prison guy in the head or something like that do you know what I mean and you go yeah but there was none of that they were just I like the way that they were just simple people 
um, as in they were just people trying to live life and they weren't trying to change anything and that was very much the way it was um, communicated in the film. This was the strength for me and that dynamic, the, the dynamic between them then really sold it because it could have been really flat without that. There was one one piece of casting that really bugged me and I'm trying to think. Was it, it was Michael Shannon's weird cameo as a no, life photographer? No, no, there's some... Um, was it Nick oh, Kroll as the young attorney? Is that the guy from that sitcom? Yeah, he's a com- he's a, mainly a comedic actor. What was... There's some, is it like the Big Bang Theory or something like... I don't know. I don't Here's watch sitcoms. A, oh, but they yes, were, they he's were been odd. in a billion things. There's one guy who's odd from roles. a sitcom and yeah. I know him as the guy from the sitcom. He pops and he up kind in of, Parks and Rec a bit. He rolled in and it's like, hey, yeah. I'm the guy from the sitcom. He's the Jonah was, Hill vibing sort of guy. Yeah, and it was, it was just really a weird vibe. It was just... It didn't work. Work for me. I actually, I actually I, quite liked him because I, he brought a weird nervous energy to this kind of very young, idealistic, but way out of his depth lawyer. Um, it was an odd, odd energy. Yeah. It was strange. I didn't know whether he was going to be a, a complete ruse, like, you know, he was taking them for a ride at the start. So I guess that added a little bit of intrigue to it. I am. I think you're right. It's the, it's the, the chemistry between the two leads is really what makes this film. And I, I very much... You very quickly get the idea that they're gentle souls, but they're they're strong, powerful people in terms of their spirit and their their defiance. And and they're they're not people who are that outwardly expressive of their affection and romance for each other either. And I think the film very nicely conveyed just what a powerful bond they had between them, which is very private. But um, you could see it just in glances, and and I, I like that aspect of it. I also feel, though, that the film tried a bit too hard to rise above the normal Hollywood thing, and I think it showed too much restraint in some areas. I would have liked to have seen them falling in love and getting to know each other before we cut to the chase so quickly. Um, I kind I, of like that. I like not I, having I'm sure that. there are people yeah. who do, but I, and I also wanted more backstory about how this, how the, the, the white and the black population within their small circle was so seamlessly integrated. There's only really one scene in the film where he his white privilege is challenged, and it's just one moment. And the film is also go, the film also goes out of its way to make sure we don't have the traditional big courtroom battles. I kind of missed that a bit. I wanted my big heroic moment to cheer it on. And I know the film very deliberately avoided all of that yeah. to avoid the obvious, but it's it's the first time in a long time I've sort of felt, oh, I wanted just a little bit more cheese on that. Oh, <laughs> wow. This is a really serviceable film. I, I hate to admit it. I don't think it's going to stay in my memory for decades. No, and I'm no. the same. I, I really liked it. I'm I glad I know yeah. this story. Yep. Um... But it didn't leave a huge impact, and I think it's because it was it, it overplayed the restraint hand. But I appreciate for a lot of people that's very much a strength. Well, it, 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 even in terms of the black-white relations, it was more. Uh, it, it didn't even pay, play up the glances, the, the the evil glances from people going, oh, "What are you doing?" Or it didn't have a lynching or anything like that. It was a W. D. Griffiths twirling yeah, moustaches. It, it yeah. didn't have any of that. So it was more about sort of this bubbling undercurrent and who is who is dobbing us in basically we never know who is complaining about them or or anything or anything like that and I, I I like that it was sort of about the way things just are and I think that's also their love just was it wasn't about creating how they got together it was just it was natural it wasn't a thing about black and white it was 
just a thing. So I like that understatedness to it. That actually was the the thing that made me... I'm the same as you, Alex. It's not something that I'm going to um, remember for a long time, but um, I kind of had a, ah, moment, a surprise moment with that understated element of it. Yeah, it's a a mainstream film with a bit too much, perhaps, of an indie sensibility. If this had a bit more of that hidden figures... um, celebratory uh, educational factor for folks like us who just, you know, we need to know these stories actually and it's lovely that there's this huge slew of films addressing all of these uh, civil rights um, narratives that are largely unknown to us and probably to a huge number of people back in the States where the biggest audiences for these films presumably is Uh, but still, yeah, there's somehow... I think if it could have just somehow been a bit bigger, a bit less indie, uh, it could just have made, I don't know, about make a difference. It's perhaps a bit utopian to think this could have made a difference, uh, but it was still have been just that bit more of a film, not necessarily a better film, but more of a one. Three Triple R. The Eagle Huntress is a UK, Mongolian, USA documentary about Isolpan, Isolpan, a 13-year-old Kazakh girl training to become an eagle hunter. Mentored by her father, we see Isolpan capture and tame her first eagle to train and hunt. No, she captures it so she can train it so it can hunt. This is all leading up to her entering the annual Golden Eagle Festival where Kazakh eagle hunters compete against each other to see who is the best bird, the best command over their eagle, among other things. It is a very male-dominated activity and a major focus of the film is Azolpan having to confront very conservative and traditionalist attitudes towards her competing. This is a, f- a documentary that's arrived in Australia with um, sort of an enormous amount of acclaim from where it's been screening at festivals most of last year. I have really strong opinions about this <laughs> film that I feel like holding back on just for the moment <laughs> until I hear what other people have to say about this very much loved and acclaimed film. I kind of found it a little problematic. Um... <laughs> Sorry, how are you? Where do I, like... where, where do I, where do I jump in? I, 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 I found it more than problematic. Oh, more than yeah. problematic. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I can't, yeah. There's I a kind P of word. thought there was... Um, it was a very Hollywood story, I have to say, and it were the, there were no surprises. It was very straightforward. I guess it's all this celebration of girlhood, girl power. You know, could have had the Spice Girls in there. In fact, at one stage, I thought a Spice Girls song may have been played in the middle of it. Or I, I was thinking, I actually wrote a note going, is um, Adele about to sing at this this song but no at the end it's Sia actually <laughs> so but there was this confusion in terms of I felt the storytelling where I wasn't entirely sure who is telling this story and white people yeah it was very well, Daisy Riddell from Star Wars mm, yeah. spoilers yeah she she well <laughs> The narration, I did read that the narration was popped in after the premiere and it really feels like it. It's so wrong. It's, um, it wasn't needed and um, it just brings another storytelling voice in that, yeah, white person from afar, let's help the other white people who might not understand what they're looking at, you know, find out about this. Um, 
the characters, and I really say characters, I know now I felt like I had to look up afterwards and see if they were real characters because they felt like they were written to me and asked to perform. They were quite engaging characters. I quite liked them, but they just didn't feel like documentary characters. And there were lots of pretty cine- um, photographic shots as well, which is not a problem, but it didn't feel that it was... And let's say, let's say it's not a fly on the wall documentary. Definitely not that feel. Um, I there was the little arguments. Um, sorry, I can no. see Cerise ready to jump in. There was um, the 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 men who pre- um, presented these arguments about why they she shouldn't be an eagle huntress or hunter um, because of the male lineage. I thought was quite token and odd um especially the guy who says his reasoning i love this was because women get cold <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite argument says against the girl in the cardigan uh, yeah Come well the air conditioning <laughs> 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 there, there was a, a lot about this film that didn't seem entirely uh not staged um no, there, there was a, some nice footage. Uh, I, strapping a GoPro to an eagle is a, a new thing. Um, I, it, there was a nice little bit of swooping, soaring that was a bit less um, sculpted, let's say. There, there was a lot of obvious drone footage and a lot of coverage, obviously, for all of this outdoorsy um, shooting. A, a documentary, I'm accustomed to a fairly limited, un-Hollywood-esque vocabulary in terms of camera placement, and you get that sense of, um, to be, ideally for me I think ideally one camera and it's just in the thick of it it's in media res I think is the term we might like to bandy about uh this it does um it seemed entirely too contrived and uh it's not to say I, I didn't still sort of enjoy it on a level but I felt manipulated and I also felt slightly annoyed by the soundtrack that is just that sort of go-to sort of airy, fairy, vaguely eastern sounding sort of music just to suggest a nice sort of oriental otherness that's <laughs> really just naff. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, the scenery is spectacular. Watching an eagle land upon a fox is it's sad, actually. I like foxes. But nonetheless, quite... I'm so urban, it, uh, that upset me. But. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, there is... And there is that, uh, a little bit of... I, I felt a little bit of a cheer rise within me when uh, when she does quite well in the competition. But still, I, I, the whole thing... Just spoiler! Seemed, yeah, spoiler. Well, I, didn't, I didn't say how well okay. she did. The eagle huntress hunts eagles. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Yeah. Hunts uh, with an eagle. She Alex and I have been eagle. doing paper, rock, scissors to yeah. see who will go next. So that Alex has won. Escalating Which one of you is going to be nicer? <laughs> You're on the wrong show. I, I will say from the outset, I, I thought the cinematography in this film was beautiful. Oh, um, I think it just, that, yep. it's a breathtaking film to watch. Just just see it if you want to see some pretty footage of somewhere in the world that you may not have seen footage from before. It's really beautiful. And I do think that our, our young protagonist, she's, a really, she's got real presence. Um, there's something about her and her story um, that is I'm glad that I know. I, I'm glad that somewhere in the world there is an eagle huntress. And she, an eagle huntress. Huntress. We've, we've had some uh, some errors with pronunciation, so hence the pause. The Eagle Huntress. She wants to be a doctor. I hope she becomes a doctor. She's a she's a go getter. That's okay. I had I had some pretty major issues with this film, and um, 
it's sort of you know the first 15 20 minutes i'm i'm kind of barreling along and she's a, she's a cool kid and i want her to be the eagle huntress and everything's going well and everything's leading towards i think this climactic competition there's a festival where she's the only girl and she's the first girl and there's a lot of pressure um it is legitimately cut like reality television um not and I thought maybe it's ironic, maybe it's satirical, maybe there's something going on here that's clever. No, it's just shot like a Gordon Ramsay cooking show, right down to the point where the it would have the um, you're watching action, you're watching an action sequence, and then it would cut to interviews in the present tense. So you think you're watching something in the present tense, and then you realise that you're actually not watching something in the present tense because people are being interviewed about something that's happened in the past. It's classic reality TV mm-hmm. stuff. And that's my main problem with this film is who is this for? The whole film, it, it does this sort of, you know, this sequence that we're talking about with the tribal elders. They're just these sort of generic, I mean, the the, the, the just the eradication of cultural difference in this film. There's this whole sense, there's a scene where it lovingly shows her putting nail polish on and we see these old bastards, no girls can't do it, you know, these boomer pr- no, no, girls are garbage. They can't do stuff. <laughs> the Just this total, this total universality. It's this totally essentialist. And this Sia song, and I, I'm at home to Sia. I, I, I'm going to say it. I would pack a bomb for Sia. Sia. I would actually quite literally was weird, pack a bomb for Sia. It? But it's this, it was weird. this kind of naff, euphoric, girls can do anything. You know, this really wobbly, we can be the things that we want to be. Just this totally awful. I'm really glad I did that on radio. Alex sings <laughs> on Triple R. Yeah. <laughs> it's just awful essentializing like girls can do anything that boys can do and it doesn't matter where in the world you come from you can still do it and it's just this naive offensive like you know there's no i mean it does this sort of token cultural different stuff like oh you know they have eagles and they go hunting with them but it really buries that underneath what it pushes forward is this universalizing story of of girls can do anything but it looks pretty. <laughs> Just, I mean, it does look it's not. It's not made about a Mongolian girl. It's a, it's a film made by Westerners for Westerners. I'm going to go one step further, and and um, I mean the the reality TV aesthetic reminded me of Survivor. It's that yeah, kind it's of. It's exactly that. It's that, that kind style. of thing, and the kind of. As well as the kind of vaguely generic oriental mystical music, there's lots of sort of dun 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 moments mm. and you know shaking speakers from the bass notes. What what really started to make me very angry about this film is it constructs this idea that this is a highly chauvinistic patriarchal society where everybody hates the fact that she's competing. And it, the first thing that occurred to me is we see these interviews with these silly old farts saying girls can't um, fly eagles, blah, blah, blah. We're not actually told exactly who they are, what their importance is, what their prominence is. Yeah, you can go yeah, into any society point. and yeah. find... No you can find five dickheads in any society who says stupid things yeah. like this. They're basically like Alan Jones, yeah. you know? Well, but, but they're nobody's. They're probably not. We don't know who they are. <laughs> Alan Jones. And, and then when we get to the competition, this kind of idea is constantly there that everyone's judging her. And I realise every time we hear a line of dialogue saying girls can't compete, we're not showing somebody speaking. It's a line that could have been taken from... Anywhere. Um, the film tells us that she's being judged and then it shows shots of people just looking kind of concerned. They could have been looking at... They could have been thinking about what, what's for dinner or where they misplaced their eagle. I mean, we don't... It, 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 <laughs> 
it, it uses Where's editing in the most <laughs> manipulative way. And it suddenly occurred to me that this film is manufacturing the idea of this horrible patriarchal society. I mean, the actual times when she speaks with her father, her grandfather, her uncle, they're all highly supportive. There is no evidence in this film that the society as a whole are against girls competing. Par- and I found that horribly condescending and sort of, yeah, a, a Western film looking down at the, the kind of dumb third world people. Apparently she isn't the first eagle huntress either. Oh, so. you're kidding. Now I'm really no, pissed off. No, no. So ex- exactly what you're saying, Thomas, it was made that this th- she is the one. She yeah. is the one, okay. you know. I don't want to be totally negative. The eagle has a really cool little hat. The eagle's hat is amazing. The eagles are magnificent. It's beautiful. I the mean, eagles are incredible. Those, those mm. bits are great, but that, that kind of reality TV aesthetic kept on pulling me out of it. Oh, and there's a totally there's a colonial weirdness to this yeah. film, and I think mm. Daisy Ridley's posh voice doesn't help no. that. I ended up um, really disgusted with this film. Like, yeah, I, I was got, pretty I got cross. Really, really angry at how condescending it was towards the people it represented, and it just manufactured this idea of them being horrible and patriarchal. And isn't Morgan Spurlock one yeah, of the he was a executive yeah. producers, yeah, I think, and so, so was Daisy Ridley. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm just, uh, I'd, I'd love to know what the intention was. I want to really. know about this first eagle huntress. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, more I, than one. And I'm not There's saying they have one. a utopian society either. I mean, but, but, but no. we, we don't know. I don't we trust no. the documentary. We actually don't know. I think that's yeah. the point, is that the, the way that it was so overtly manufactured makes yep. you question the information that it's giving you. Exactly. Yeah, this, this is ethnotourism. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. how. I, I mean, I just felt that there, you know, that the the kind of essentialism was really grim. This idea of telling, you know, telling a clearly Western audience that it was aiming at all, you know, all girls are the same and all culture aren't people all the same. And it's like, let's just, it's 2017. Can we back off the all people are the same and culture doesn't matter stuff? Because I'm not sure if I'm quite at home to that. But yeah, the weird colonial, posh English lady telling us the story. I mean, even just like. Um, uh, like title cards would have really helped, I think. Instead of I, I don't think the it voiceover, needed, it didn't need it at all. So, look, I, I, I actually thought, what's she telling us that we can't ascertain from what they're showing? I think it just goes to show how they w- had no confidence in their own material. Really, it's, it's wobbly filmmaking. Yeah, mm, exactly. and yet it's bankrolled by folks with money who sense more that they uh, is, is there in the making. It's do Sony. We, it's a Sony release. Do we know much about the do- the the filmmaker? A guy called Otto Bell. I can't find any information about him. Yeah. That's I, a guy I'm not packing a bong for. Yeah, okay. I, I can't find any he can previous... Pack his own bong. He was born in the UK. I'm seeing from looking quickly at the internet, but I, I can't see any other credits to his name. I don't know much about him at all. It's obviously... It's his first film, I'm guessing. But yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of people have loved this film. It's so a beautiful, like she's a, she has real presence and there is a, yeah. it is a beautiful story that... I mean, when she's on screen, it lights up. And I do see that that is really captivating. Um, and it's and, a nice, and I was it's captivated nice by her. I think, yeah, the relationship between yeah. her and her bird. I was really fascinated by the relationship between her and her mother. Like there were, I think that no. there's, there's material. Exactly, yeah. I think that there was material there for a really amazing documentary. Because the mother's just said in the wrong hands. And her siblings. Yeah. yeah, like it was just. I, I would love to see another filmmaker make that film. Actually, I can't even... How many siblings did there you have? Two. Kind of, there were two. two. There was a yeah. little brother and a little sister, I think. She lived within a dormitory at school mm. some of the time when she wasn't in the yurt, which seemed to be most of the time. So there was a lot that was a bit muddled. I think yeah. it was a great subject in the hands of a filmmaker that probably... In the hands of someone who just watched Survivor too much. Yeah. yeah. Mm. What a shame. Oh, well. <laughs> <laughs> That's Anywho. That's the end of that. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>
Uh, we better wrap up Plato's Cave. Um, <laughs> what do we look at? 13th is a, net, is a Netflix original and currently available here in Australia on Netflix. Loving is on general release courtesy of Entertainment One Film and The Eagle Huntress is on limited release courtesy of Sony Pictures. You've been listening to Thomas Cordell, Cerise Howard, Alexandra Helen Nicholas and Emma Westwood here on Plato's Cave. Faith Everard will edit the podcast for us or has edited it for us depending on whether you're listening to this live or as a podcast. It's good night for us. We'll see you all next week. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.